I, as always, am so glad to be here with y'all. I will tell you, I'm a little more nervous tonight. I um, I did Bible study for a lot of years and then had kids and went into a season where I didn't get to sit at a table the way that I would have liked and um, would come in and teach. And I think there was a part of me that was like, okay, if I teach and it's not good, then I can just go away and that will be nice. <laughs> But now um, I'm sitting at a table this summer, and I'm reminded of how much I love it, just being with other women um, weekly in the Word. But it's also made me nervous because I'm like, now i got to come back next week, and if it's not good, they're going (laughs) to... No. (laughs) They're very sweet, dear friends, and so I'm happy to be at a table um, in this season. Uh, This message is, um, I will say, a little bit emotional for me as well this season, Um, I'm going to try, hopefully not cry during this lesson, but it's just bittersweet talking through deconstruction and church hurt and those sorts of things are hard and it just brings up um, just stuff, right, baggage. Um, Before I get into that, I also have to say that um, in... When I talk, I'm going to share some of the hard stuff that I struggled with here at this church in a season when I thought that I might leave, and I'm so glad that I stayed. And one of the reasons that I'm really glad that I stayed, even though I wasn't here physically, I got to watch Courtney um, teach. Courtney is in our young adult ministry. Yeah, she's amazing. Um, She's in our young adult ministry. She's in my formation group. She's one of my dear friends, and it is such a joy when you lead a ministry to see the people in that ministry um, teach and, and, you know, just live out their gifting. And anyway, it's just such a beautiful thing that I'm just thankful to God um, that he brought me out of that season into a place where I could celebrate my friends. So thankful for that. Um, Okay, so kind of like I was beginning to mention There was a time when I could not walk inside this building. There was a time when I would sit out in that parking lot, and I actually sat out there for a long time uh, this afternoon before coming inside, just thinking through the time when I would sit in that parking lot, and I would dread the thought about coming in. I had to sit out there and wait till I was calm enough to be able to walk into this building. And then I would walk in finally, and I would do what I needed to do, and I would leave immediately. I would come in, I would sit in the back of our all staff meetings, I would pray that nobody would talk to me, and um, as soon as it was over, I would leave. And um, I couldn't even come on Sunday mornings. For a long period of time, I couldn't, Sunday mornings were too hard for me. And I spent a lot of time at our sister church, The Grove, in Alito, all the way out in Alito. We would drive out there on Sunday mornings because I could not come here, but I could at least go there. And um, it was, for me, a place of escape. Um, But in that building, in that season, that sister church brought a lot of healing into my life. And in that season, I was experiencing just severe church hurt. I was angry, I was sad, I was questioning everything. When my sister and I came here right after college, we chose a church because in college you can kind of church hop and I had made this commitment to myself that when we find a church, we're gonna commit and we're gonna, we're gonna be there. And I had that plane in my mind that like, I've committed to this place, but I'm mad at everybody here. I'm mad at all the things that I've just experienced and all I want to do is leave. And there was a time where I thought that I would leave. I was pretty convinced 
for a while that I would leave, that I would just go find someplace else, start over someplace, somewhere else, that I would find a church with no issues, find a place, you know, where you won't get hurt, where there's no need to reconcile because everyone loves other people just like Jesus would all the time, every time. But you're laughing because you know, like I know, that that kind of place doesn't exist, right? And there are great churches. I think this is, I mean, I'm still here. I think this is a great church. And there's lots of great churches in our area. But every single church is imperfect. Every single church that has existed for at least a week has someone in, (laughs) I mean, literally, has someone within their congregation who is experiencing church hurt or has experienced church hurt, or will experience church hurt. It's just how it is. Church is hard. It always will be. No matter how great the church is, it will be. And the reason is because churches are made up of people, right? They're made up of people like you and I who are doing our best, honestly, to pursue Christ and to exist with one another in community. And unfortunately, we need each other. We need to be together. Christ created the church, and despite the people, it's still very important. But for a lot of Christians, and I'm sure you guys know of Christians, where the hurt has uh, proved to be too much, right? Too disappointing, too disorienting, and the grief and the anger and the resentment causes them to leave, where they have to leave right? But not just leave the church. And I'm not saying that you have to stay every time. You know, sometimes we have to leave and go to a different church. So I'm not condemning anyone for changing churches. But sometimes uh, there are people that we know where the grief and the anger is so much that they can't even change churches. They leave the faith altogether because they cannot reconcile what they see or what they've experienced. And honestly, this season that we're in right now um, is a particularly challenging, troubling season for the church, because all of us probably know someone who has chosen to walk away from the church and their faith. All of us know someone who maybe didn't walk away from their faith, but entered into a season where they began to question everything they grew up believing, a season that we call deconstruction. Now, some of you hear me say that word, or maybe as you were doing your study, you heard the word deconstruction, and you kind of rolled your eyes and dismissed it as a problem for people who have, like, weak faith, or maybe you hear that word and you think it's a bit dramatic, right, deconstruction, you know. um, I know that there are a lot of people that use that term nowadays, and so it can feel kind of like a buzzword or a word with no real meaning, but deconstruction is an actual philosophical term and it's existed for many many years and recently there are lots of Christians who have applied it to their own faith life they've decided to deconstruct what they believe in order to see if there's any real meaning beneath the surface deconstruction is a complicated word it's hard to define and deconstruction is actually much more common than we think and surprisingly it can actually be really helpful in uh, his Christianity Today article uh, it's titled the most dangerous form of deconstruction Russell Moore says this he says the question is not whether we will deconstruct but what we will deconstruct 
So tonight, we're going to engage in a little deconstruction. My hope is that you will lean into this practice and, as Kat puts it, gut every decaying and rotten plank in your spiritual house. Well, we might not do all of that tonight, but hopefully we will leave with some tools and um, tools to start and begin continuing that work. So deconstruction the way we're gonna define it. Deconstruction is really not demolition. It's not destruction. Deconstruction is not taking a hammer to our faith and destroying it so then we can build something new. No, it's disassembling things. It's taking out what doesn't belong, taking out the rotten stuff and the stuff that we've added and seeing and uncovering what's underneath the surface. So we're going to be pulling the pieces apart in order to better understand the law that God gave us and how to embody it. So my hope is that we will learn how to deconstruct in the way of Jesus, that we will examine our own hearts and allow God's word and God's law to mold our hearts so that they look more like Jesus. Because when our hearts change, our church changes, and then our world changes. But it begins in our heart, and it begins with us adhering to God's law. So Kat did a really incredible job breaking down the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. So I'm not going to reteach that for you. But I do want to recap it just a little bit and then focus on some key passages. So Matthew 5 is the start of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And as you remember from your homework, that there are all kinds of people that are there. People um, from different neighboring regions, the sick, his disciples, religious leaders, lots of people are gathered around this mountain while Jesus has gone up to the top and is delivering the special message to them to communicate to his people, as Kat says, a history-changing revelation of God's character. And when you read Matthew 5, there are two characteristics of God that emerge. One is that he is patient. Jesus is so incredibly patient in this scene. He takes the time first to climb up this mountain and then to sit and teach his disciples and all the people that have gathered. He teaches them the heart-changing details of the law. And he could have just repeated the Ten Commandments, like this is what you have heard, and he just repeat the Ten Commandments. Or he could have said, hey, just go read the Torah and be done with it. But he doesn't do that. He knew that they needed something more, that it wasn't just enough to know the law, they had to embody it. So in order to do that, he had to give us specific examples of what to do. And that would require time, a lot of time. So when he gets up on this mountain, he's prepared to take his time and be patient with us. Going through specific laws, deconstructing them, pulling them apart so that, we, so that they could understand them better and so that they could live differently. So Jesus is extremely patient with us. The other characteristic that I thought emerged from this chapter is that uh, Jesus is kind. (laughs) He's really kind, and thank God for his kindness, because just like he is patient, he is so kind with us. He doesn't get tired of the questioning or the accusations, right? He considers our position. He considers the position of the people that are gathered there. He, he, he uh, meets them where they are at, 
and he speaks words of encouragement and blessing over them, right? He thinks about the challenges that they are facing, and he breaks it down so that they can understand it, and he does it with gentleness. So Jesus is patient and kind, and he teaches them how to embody his truth. So Jesus deconstructs the law so that we can better understand it. How does he do that? Now, remember, when I said deconstruction, and I'm going to repeat this phrase a lot, deconstruction is not destruction. It's not demolition. We're talking about pulling it apart to better understand it, to get rid of the stuff that doesn't belong. So Jesus deconstructs the law by emphasizing its importance. That's the first thing that he does. So if you look back at Matthew 5 and read with me verses 17 through 20, we'll kind of talk about what he does. Uh, Starting in verse 17, it says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is not trying to do away with the law. He's not trying to destroy it or dispose of it. And there are people, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, who actually think that is what he's trying to do. But he's not trying to discredit the law. He's saying, no, the law is important. The law is necessary. He is doubling down on its importance. And he's not here to do away with it, but to fulfill it. So he's here to bring the law to completion, right? To give us a full picture of what it means to follow God's law. And then he begins to explain what he's doing. And so what is the law supposed to do in our lives? It's supposed to change us, not just our outward behavior, but our inward heart. So the law is meant to change us completely, all of us, inside out, So when you begin the process of deconstruction, when it comes to your faith, as we're doing tonight, you need to remember what's important. Remember that as a Christ follower, the word of God is and remains most important. He's given us his law as a gift. His law gives people dignity. That's why he gave it. It's a distinction. He made a distinction of how we are supposed to treat people, and it's different than how the world treats people. It protects the most vulnerable people in our communities. The law fights for unity and the law fights for truth. So we need to stop looking at it as just a list of rules to obey and see it as a gift that changes us from the inside out. So when we deconstruct just like Jesus, we emphasize the importance of God's law. We say that God is most important and we are not. His way is better than ours. His path is better than ours. And when we admit that, we begin pulling those rotten boards out of our heart, out of our lives. So then next, Jesus deconstructs the law by pulling it apart. Okay, so remember, again, deconstruction is not destruction. Good deconstruction pulls things apart 
takes our time to examine it more closely in order to better understand it. So if you look back at uh, Matthew, verses 21 through 47, Jesus takes the law of Moses and he pulls it apart. He restates the law and then he kind of opens it up and gives examples of what this really looks like in life. So look at Matthew 5, 43. There it says, Jesus says, you have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And that comes directly from Leviticus 19.18, where it says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So Jesus repeats the law and then goes a step further to describe what it looks like, what it really means. So he continues on in verses 44 through 47. He says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same. So Jesus explains to them what it really means to love your neighbor. Not just really love them, but to pray for them. And not just to love those who love you, but your enemies also. Because it's easy for us to love people who love us back. And it's hard for us to love people that we don't like. And it's hard for us to love people who don't like us, right? So when we deconstruct, we get to the heart of the matter. And if you're going to begin the process, you have to pull back the layers of your own life. Are you really loving people the way that Jesus would have you love them? And so a lot of Christians are deconstructing their faith and they're asking really hard questions about their experiences, valid questions about real experiences. And these Christians and many others, um, they, they say, you know, we know the law, right? These Christians that I'm in community with that have hurt me, they know the law. They've, they've heard that you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself, but then they do things that hurt us, that make us think, well, if you know the law, why would you do that? Why would you hurt me? Why would you hurt other people, people that I love? But then we are also people, right, who know the law. We also know that we're supposed to love one another, love our enemies. Yet a lot of times we also do things that hurt each other, right? We also sometimes fail to love one another and do the same things, don't we? And so at the heart of the matter, Jesus is revealing to us that we need to do more than just know the law. You know, we have to know better, do better. Y'all heard people say that? We got to know better and do better, right? We have to practice it. We have to, in our prayer journals, when we're writing nice things about people we like, to write the names of the people we don't like in our prayer journals and pray for them also, right? We have to make efforts to lean across the table with people that we disagree with and listen and engage in real, honest conversation, not just to hear our own voices, not just to be right, but to connect and to understand and to show Christ's love to them. We need to seek reconciliation and unity when it's possible. We need to pull out the rotten boards in our lives that tell us that it's okay if you hate that woman over there. I mean, she's just a, you know, fill in the blank. Or it's okay if you don't like her, I mean, all of those women do this or do that. 
Or, you know, they will always be blank. She'll never blank. You know, you've had those kind of conversations or you've had those conversations with friends. It's okay. Don't feel bad. But guys, we need to pull that apart. That's rotten wood that we need to get rid of. It's not okay. And so when we pull it apart and understand the heart of what Jesus is calling us to, that's when we begin to do this work of deconstruction, of cleaning house. And so then finally, Jesus deconstructs the law by reminding us of the original purpose, the original purpose of the law. In the final verse of this chapter, Matthew 5, 48 says this, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, I know hearing that, it can sound like an impossible goal. And maybe some of us might read that and you kind of glaze past it or brush past it. And you think, well, Jesus is just kind of speaking hypothetically. But no, Jesus is reminding us that we are supposed to be like God. Not gods, but we're supposed to be more like God, reflecting his image in our world. God is set apart. He is holy. And the law was given to help the people be set apart as well. He calls us to be holy as he is holy. And adhering to the law, internalizing the law, embodying it, and experiencing genuine heart change will make us look more like him. It's guaranteed. The more time we spend with him, the more we will look like him. The law restores dignity to people and it encourages unity. Yes, those are good things and those are the things that the law was given for as well. But the number one original purpose for the law was to remind us that God is in control. The law was given by a good God to us. He is in control and we are not. The law is not about us. It is about God and it reveals his character. And Jesus is our example of how to follow the law how to embody the law, and how to transform the world around us because we are following it. So deconstruction, yes, is a complicated, complex word. And honestly, I mean, if, there were, if y'all are philosophy majors, I might not have done it the right way. But um, deconstruction, I think, can be really helpful. I think it's almost even a necessary process for us. As we live our lives as believers, we have to examine our lives. We have to pull it apart, and we have to see what's rotten and then begin pulling those rotten things out. Again, not to destroy our faith, but really to strengthen it, right? We have to periodically examine our, our faith, our behaviors, our actions, and our hearts, And then we need to take the necessary steps to change. So then we need to ask ourselves some hard questions, right? As we do this, we need to start asking ourselves, why do I get so upset when this person starts speaking? Why do I have less patience with this woman and not that woman? Why do I resort to name calling when someone disagrees with me? Why do I think my priorities should be more important than someone else's priorities? Why do I think that I deserve the benefit of the doubt, but someone else doesn't? What are the rotten things in your own life that are living beneath the surface? How can Jesus remove what's rotten and replace it with a heart that is restored and renewed by his word and his law? We need to deconstruct just like Jesus did, examine our own heart, and allow God's law to mold our hearts to look like his.
Because when our hearts change, the church changes and the world changes. Now, things will still be hard. I can guarantee that. Things will still be hard. There will still be hurt. But we will be a people who are moving toward Jesus. And as we move toward him, we will begin to seek reconciliation. We will seek forgiveness. We will seek unity. And we will seek to love more and more That's my prayer for us tonight, that we would be people who move toward Jesus. We need to be women who move toward Jesus, who can reflect Jesus to a world that is hurting and a world world that is deconstructing in ways that are not like Jesus. So I want for us to do that, to reflect that to the world. Let me pray for us to close. Heavenly Father, I, God, I thank you just what a privilege it is to gather in this room, Lord, that you have brought us together, that you have made it possible for us to gather. God, what a privilege it is. Lord, we praise you because you are patient with us. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for giving us time, for revealing yourself to us in so many new ways as we study your word, as we engage in community. As we listen to teaching, Lord, you are molding us and shaping us. God, may we be obedient to you. No matter what the outcome, may we be obedient to you to follow your word and your path even when it hurts, even when we don't want to, in our anger, in our sadness, in our frustration, in our confusion. May we just continue to follow you, God. And God, may you surround us with community that can help us navigate the hard places, that can remind us of your truth, God. May you surround us with people who are patient with us as we do it, people who will do the hard work of helping us um, pull back the pieces and pull out the things that are rotten. God, I thank you for your faithfulness. You are the same God yesterday today and tomorrow. You have not given up on us and you will not give up on us. And I am so thankful for that, that no matter where we are, no matter where any woman is in this room, God, that you see us, God, and you are here with us and that you are guiding us each step of the way, God. May we put our faith and our trust in you as we continue to follow you. I pray this in your son's name. Amen.